Jonah 3. We will uh, finish up, Lord willing, uh, we'll look at Jonah 4 next week and uh, finish up Jonah and then uh, pray for me. We'll probably move into uh, 1 Corinthians and, uh, and look at 1 Corinthians next. And you're probably thinking, well, Jonah has four chapters. We've been here two months. 1 Corinthians has 16 chapters. We may end our journey together in 1 Corinthians. No, just kidding. I will move quickly. There's some things in there that my flesh is afraid to deal with anyway, so we'll, we'll, we'll deal with them, though. We'll deal with them well, Lord willing, as the, as the Lord allows. So uh, we'll look at uh, 1 Corinthians and... And, and, and look at unity and some things like that. So today we are going to look, Jonah 3, we looked last week at Jonah 3 and, and really just the grace of God that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And we talked about the grace there, that, that the exact same word, that God would not let Jonah skip the lesson. He wouldn't let Jonah just disobey in this area and then move on like nothing happened. And that's grace. That's grace. Well, today I, I want to see the beauty, the beauty from Jonah 3 of a shared gospel. The beauty of a shared gospel. And that's why I've entitled the message that the beauty of a shared gospel. Not the beauty of a kept gospel, the, not the beauty of a hidden gospel, not the beauty of a received gospel and then something you set aside. The beauty of a shared gospel. And, and the reality is that we exist to bring glory to God. We exist to share the gospel. He doesn't just save us and then take us home. Why? Because we exist to share the gospel. We exist to bring glory to God. And part of that glory, part of bringing glory to God is bringing attention, helping the world to be made aware of the glorious gospel, the wonderful gospel that we've received in faith. The, the, the wonderful gospel that we've been, that we've been privileged to be um, ambassadors of Second Corinthians, and Paul says there that that we are stewards of in First Corinthians four. Paul says that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. That's us. And I want us to see today the beauty of a shared gospel. It's glorious when it's shared. Thankfully, somebody took a risk. Somebody took on, went out of their comfort zone even, and shared with you the great grace of God. And by grace, you received that. Now go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The beauty of a shared gospel. The, the, the God has entrusted us with this gospel and He wants us to share it. Uh, one of our members, and I won't mention his name, uh, even this week an, an employee came to him and was talking and he got to, she's going through a rough patch and she got to, he got to share the gospel with her. We got to get with Ronnie and, and give her a bunch of, of food to meet some physical needs, but it paved the way for the gospel to be shared with this individual multiple times. But the beauty of a shared gospel, that, that God allows us to be co-laborers with Him, fellow workers we'll see today with Him. And, and yet that's a scary thought as well, because if we're honest we're all flawed. Every single one of us in here is very, very flawed. It, it would not be, it would not take long at all for us to sit down and if we looked at every, if, if you looked, if every single one of y'all looked at me, you could write down ten flaws off the top of your head that you could say about me. We're flawed. And, and yet we're flawed people going to tell other flawed people about the glory of God in the gospel. That, that's a beautiful thing, but that's also a scary thing. That's a scary thing. 
And, and yet, it's the beautiful, it's, it's exactly the way that God designed it. Why? Because Chris Basham can't boast in his salvation. There's absolutely nothing in my salvation that I can boast about. And that's the point. It's all of God. It's all of God. You look at 1 Corinthians, and, and, and especially verse 31, it says, so that if anyone's going to boast, they're going to boast in God. You know, you know why I'm saved? The glory of God. It's the glory of God. It's not that I was smart enough. It wasn't that I, were, I was worthy of it. It wasn't that I warranted it. It wasn't, oh, Chris, you're so skilled, and you're a great orator, and all this other stuff. So I'm gonna say, no, it's the grace of God. The reality is I'm none of those things. What I am is a picture of the grace of God. What I am is a picture of what God is doing in me, I, I've said before, I have nothing to offer you other than the Word of God. There, there are people smarter, better speakers, better accent. I wish I had Alistair Begg's accent. That guy just sounds intelligent. Anybody with that accent, and then, and then you have mine. But, but it's, it's, it's so the glory of God would shine through. And that's the beauty of a shared gospel. I'm not talking about Chris. I'm not talking about how great Chris is. I'm talking about how great a God is that loves us in spite of our sinfulness. That loves us in spite of our flaws. And that's the gospel that we go and share with others. Yes, you're flawed, but you're forgiven through the blood of Jesus. And that's the point, all to the glory of God. And that's what we see here in Jonah 3. So I want to I jump in and really starting in in verse 9 of chapter 2, but just three, three points today with regards, to salva with, the, with regards to salvation and this glorious gospel. Three, three components that I believe are interwo interwoven. And if you try to separate any of these three, you, you've, you're, you're really trying to destroy the gospel. Don't try to figure them out. I know some of you, when we get done here, are going to be challenged. Mentally, you're going to be trying to figure it out. You're going to be trying to make it compute. You're going to be trying to, to say 2 plus 2 equals 4. Well, there's some, you're not carrying your variables right. You're, you're not going to figure this formula out. You're not going to figure it out. What our response is, is to trust the formula. It's not to figure it out. It's to trust it. Okay, trust it. So what we see here in Jonah, very clear picture. First and foremost, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. Jonah says, salvation, is, he says it for you, salvation is from the Lord. The realization that Jonah came to in the belly of the whale was that salvation was from the Lord. It's a gift. This is the conclusion that Jonah came to right before the whale vomited him out of his mouth onto the beach. Salvation is from the Lord. And that's an important place to start because sometimes, if we're honest, we, like Jonah, we want to be the determiners of who gets to hear the gospel. We want to be the judge, the jury, the verdict giver, the executioner of who gets saved, why they should be saved, why they shouldn't be saved. They're not worthy of salvation. He is. You know what? I've even heard people say, well, that person would be a good person to get saved. They're really skilled. That ain't the point. Salvation is from the Lord. None of us were in here, we're saved because of what we had to offer. We were saved because of what God offered at Calvary, and it was His Son. That's why we're saved. If we're going to boast in anything, we're going to boast in what God is doing in us. And that's the conclusion that Jonah's coming to. That's the conclusion that the Lord is bringing Jonah to, and really a representation of all of Israel. Israel, you're not Israel because if there was anything special in you. You're Israel, you're my chosen people, all because of me, God is saying. 
It was my choosing. And, and we, want, we want to be the determiners. Jonah had forgotten the very fact that he was not worthy. None of Israel was worthy. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We missed the mark. Look, look, on the, look at Romans 5.8-10. through 10. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. What does that say? While we were perfect? No. Does it say while, after we had cleaned up our act? No. Does it say when, when you became worthy? No. It says while. At the very moment, at the peak of your sinfulness... At the peak of your rebellion, at the peak of your hatred to God, at the peak of your being an enemy of God, He saved you. He saved us. It wasn't, Chris, clean up your act. Chris, Chris quit using this language. Quit watching this. Quit doing that. Quit. No. At an FCA camp in Mariana, Florida, the grace of God fell on me and I responded with faith. I was a new creation at that point. And the point is, Jonah forgot that he was not worthy, but the point is greater than that. None of us were worthy. None of us were worthy. And it's very easy for us to fall in a trap and forget that we weren't worthy. That it's all of grace. We didn't figure God out. We didn't get smart enough to make it all work out. We didn't, we didn't unlock the key or the combination. No, it was grace of God. Salvation is from the Lord. And the point of Jonah and the point of this whole Bible is this. Nobody deserves to be saved. Nobody deserves to be saved. You're not saved because you deserved it. And yet, in the midst of the fact that nobody deserves it, God still offers His salvation and sent His Son to die on the cross. That's grace. And what Jonah realized and what we must realize is that we must, our job is to accept that salvation, accept that it is from the Lord. In Psalm 3.8, you'll see that salvation belongs to the Lord, the psalmist writes, that salvation belongs to the Lord. The point is this, God took the initiative. He took the initiative. It is His gift to give us. It belongs to Him, and in His grace, He has freely offered it to whoever, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord. It's from the Lord. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12 says. Salvation is from the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. Nobody deserves it. Nobody warrants it. Nobody's worthy of it. If God did not save anybody, that would not impugn His character. Please know that. He would not be any less God. The reason why? Because we were enemies. We didn't warrant it. We didn't deserve it. And yet the fact that He offered it and saves, that should blow your mind. He didn't have to do that. In His great love for us, in His great mercy, in His great grace, He offered His Son to die for us who did not deserve it. To form a people out of who weren't a people. To form a family out of His enemies. I mean, we were all orphans out here playing in the street with nothing, and God has invited us in His grace. He's opened the door and invited us in to the palace. We were fatherless, and He's given us a father. 
We are familyless, and He's given us a family. That's grace. Grace. That the fact that God was willing to sacrifice His Son and purchase redemption, not for a good people, but for a wretched people, for a broken, for a flawed, for a sinful people. I mean, that, that, that is blowing. The, the fact that God would call Jonah to go and speak to the Ninevites blew Jonah's mind. Because Jonah had forgotten how unworthy he was. The, the fact that God saved me blows my mind. The fact that God would save some of you blows my mind. But it's all of grace. It's all of grace. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is His to dole out however He desires. It's His. He owns it. And the biblical truth is that God is sovereign over salvation. He is sovereign even in salvation. He's in charge. And the point is this. He initiates it. God is the initiator of salvation. He initiates it. While we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. While we were sinners, God initiated salvation. I mean, you, you look all over Jonah. Who came to Jonah? God came to Jonah and said, go to the Ninevites. Jonah's response, flawed, sin, runs. Guess what? God sent a storm. God sent a whale. God did everything. He caused the lot to fall on Jonah. God was sovereign over every detail. Why? To take the message of salvation to the Ninevites. He was sovereign over it. You, I, many of you can look over the events that, court, that, that, go on, that went on in your life surrounding your salvation and you say only God could do that. That's the point. Only God would do that. Some of you are here today for the very reason to hear that. God wants a relationship with you. He initiated the cross. The cross was His idea. It wasn't a response to man. He didn't get backed into a corner. He hadn't exhausted all of His other options. He initiated the cross. He initiated it out of love. God went to great lengths to, to bring this salvation message to the Ninevites, and He's gone to great lengths to bring that salvation message to you and I. And, and the point is, is exactly that. It's grace, and it's a glorious, beautiful gospel. Look at Romans 3, verses 19 through 18. Just so you see a clear picture of, of, of what God did in initiating salvation and who it was that He... Who, are, who us as creation are. Look at verse 10. Starting at verse 9, I'm sorry. What then, Paul writes, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That's our condition. We're under sin. We, it's, it's like me standing, sitting, on, sitting on a bench and you put about 150 pounds on the bench and then you say, Chris, lift it on your own. I, it's just going to sit on my chest. I'm under it. You're going to have to come beside me and spot me and lift that thing off my chest. I can't do it. He says, Greeks, Jews, Greeks, you're under sin. You can't do anything about it. Look at what he says. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Listen to this, verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. 
With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is a picture of us. That's a picture of God's creation under sin. We're not seeking after God. We're not looking for Him. I'm yet to have anyone come up to me and just beg me to tell them about the Lord. And yet God sent His Son for this very people right here. In His mercy, He sent His Son to die for... He's sovereign. He had to initiate it because of the condition we were in. He initiated. Look at, look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 13. A lot of Bible today, I told them. I got nothing to say here but the, the Word of God, so they'll, they'll, they'll get good practice back there in the tech booths. Ephesians 2, 1 through 13. You, and you, this is our condition. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What, what does a dead person do on their own? Nothing. Dead people don't do anything. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. By your nature you're a child of wrath. That's what you deserve. But God, that's always a great sentence. Verse 4, but God. We have a great God who stepped onto the scene in the midst of our deserving wrath, in the midst of who we were, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by, the great, by grace you have been saved. And raises us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You want to know about the love of God? Look to the cross. You don't have to look any further than the cross. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it was the gift of God, not as the result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Look at verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed by the flesh with the human hands. Paul makes a little dig there. Hey, something you did on your own, not worthy. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who you were. Verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's us. He's talking to the Gentiles there. Any, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. You are far off. You've been brought near for one reason, under one reason, because of one reason, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's grace. God did it all. Everything in Jonah, God did. He did it. He did it. He did it. God is showing off in, in Jonah His great grace. He's also showing that salvation is mine to dole out however I desire. And Jonah, I know you think the Ninevites aren't worthy, but you're forgetting one key fact. Neither were you. And yet God saved you. Now go take that same message to the Ninevites. 
And that same message sits in us today. You weren't worthy either. The Bible tells us the truth of sin, the truth of its consequences, the truth of the end. God in His great grace has just laid Himself out there to say, hey, here's how this thing's going to end. Here's, how, here's the penalty due for your sins. And it's all of grace. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Practically read the whole book of Ephesians here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we will be holy and blameless before Him. Listen to this. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him... We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Not just kind of sprinkled, He lavished grace on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In Him also we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Everything God did was in love and grace. He's sovereign. The fact that He would woo us to repentance, the fact that He would reveal Himself, the fact that He would do all that, He's sovereign over salvation. Look, look at John six thirty seven real quick. It says, For no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. He's sovereign. He's sovereign over salvation. John six thirty seven. Then you have John six forty four. Where are we at here? It says No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up. On the last day, verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will not cast out. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's sovereign over it. He is wooing us in His grace to repentance. And I know that that causes all kinds of questions, and just hold tight, because we're going to show the, sec- the balance of this. If you leave that one alone, the scales are tipped. You, you don't have the whole equation here. Okay, we're, we're going to work it out here the best we can. We, we, we think of this and we, we, we automatically, our minds run to places it shouldn't. But this isn't the whole picture because not only is God, is salvation from the Lord, but man is responsible for responding to God's salvation offer with belief. God is sovereign over salvation. He, 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 he owns it. It's His to give. But man is responsible for responding and look at Jonah 3.5. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Their response was what? It was belief. It was belief. Their belief was accompanied by repentance. That repentance proved their belief. Look at Jonah 3.10. When God saw their deeds that they turned from their way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them. What turned the calamity? Their belief. They responded to God offering salvation with belief. And and God relented in His judgment because of their belief. 
Judgment was warranted, judgment was deserved, but it was avoided through their belief. Romans 8.1 says, For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What that tells you is prior to your belief in Christ Jesus, what did you warrant? Condemnation. Why? Because your sin. But by faith, you applied the blood of Jesus to your life, no condemnation. The Ninevites, they believed the message of Jonah, that there was a wrath coming, that it was deserved them. They believed it, no condemnation. Look, look at John 3.36. Who, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What avoids the wrath of God? Your belief. It's your belief. God in His sovereignty has offered it. He's made an offer through His Son of Jesus Christ on the cross. How do you respond? Belief. You believe it. The word belief there means to lean your entire weight upon. This is not something you just make a mental assent to and check it off and put it... No, you build your whole life around this, around this truth that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. You lean your entire weight upon this. And he says clearly, you believe, you get life. You don't believe, you get the judgment that you were deserved. And belief is the only response that turns God's wrath. It's belief. L look at John 3, 16 through 18. Very famous passage. We know John 3, 16 very well. But it only gets better after John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen to this. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's through belief. You see belief over and over. John in John twenty thirty says, These things were written so that you may believe. His whole point in writing the gospel was that you would believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And in doing so, you would have your wrath that it deserved turned into eternal life. And it's all through belief. At the same time that God is sovereign, we must believe. And, and I'll be the first to tell you, that, that wrecks people's mind. And, and, and if we knew, if we had, did not have these finite minds, if we had infinite minds, if we were God, we would understand how that works out, but we don't. So we got to just leave it alone. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. Period. Look at 2 Peter 2.1. Here's the beauty. Here's the greatness of what God has done in salvation. 2 Peter 2.1 But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who secretly introduced destructive heresies. Listen to this. Even denying the master who bought them. God, in His great love, in His great mercy, paid for even those who are going to fight Him and deny Him and lie about Him. He made possible their salvation if they would have only believed. They can't say that it was just because God didn't pay for their sins at the Calvary. He did. He bought them too. Salvation was there for the taking. Guess what? They refused. They, turned to, they, they chose instead to go their own wicked way. Look, look at John 5, 39 and 40. 
Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Why, why didn't they come? They were unwilling. They, they would not repent of their false beliefs and turn to Jesus. They were unwilling. Look, look at Romans 10, 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Why is a person saved? Because they, they, at the same time that they believe, they repent. They call upon the name of the Lord. They realize that salvation is from the Lord. There's no other way to be good enough to earn it, to merit it, to warrant it. And they fall upon Jesus. That's how a person is saved. And God is sovereign in doing everything possible and needed to make that happen. He's done everything necessary for that to take place. In His grace and in His love. You, you can look at Romans 1.18. It says that men suppress the truth and unrighteousness and God is going to hold them accountable. Everything that they needed to know about God was made evident to them and instead of turning to Him, they turned away from Him. And they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. It was evident. You look at John 3.19, it says the same thing. I think that you may have... Kenda, you may have John 3.19 through 21 back there. I'm jumping around so we'll get done on today sometime, but there's enough passages here. John 3.19 through 21. I'll read that one real quick. It says, This is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. For he who practices the truth comes to light so that the deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Why does someone not come to Christ? Because they don't want to humble themselves and admit they're sinners. It says clearly, why don't they turn to Jesus? Because they love their sin too much. They love their sin. It's, it's not, they can't blame God. It's their, it's their own issue. We don't come to the Word of God because it exposes us. Jonah got exposed. We get exposed. I read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit says, that's sin, that's sin, that doesn't look like, oh, that attitude wasn't good, oh, that wasn't good. That's not fun, but it's right, and it's loving. And it says men don't come to the, to the Lord, why? Because they love their deeds, they don't want to be exposed, they love their sin. And this is a mystery, admittedly. Admittedly, it's a mystery. But that's the beauty of a shared gospel. That's the beauty of a shared gospel. You, you can, if, you just go, if you went to your concordance and looked up the word mystery, it would occur time and time and time again. The mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. You, you can go to 2 Peter and Paul say, I mean, Peter says, hey, some of those things that Paul wrote about, they're hard to understand. This is Peter saying that. Hard to understand. That's in Second Peter three fourteen. If you want to look there later, he says this stuff is hard to understand. But but God is sovereign, and yet man 
is responsible. And, and I, I try to illustrate it and understand all illustrations fall short. But suppose somebody walked through that door right now and said, you know what, if you'll follow me to the bank, I'll pay off your mortgage. If you'll follow me to the bank, I'll pay off your mortgage. That, that's, a great, that's a great announcement. That would make for a great Facebook post. Hey, how was church today? This dude came in there and paid off all of our mortgages. We'd have to KD bar the door next week. Great announcement. But, but the question becomes this. How would you respond to that? Some people in here would get up out of their seat so fast and they chase after them. Why? Because they understand they have a mortgage that they'll never get out from under. They'll never pay on their own. It's, it's more than maybe it should have been. And you, you would have been, out of your desperation, you would chase after him. You wouldn't care about the consequences. Others would sit here kind of with your arms crossed and just real skeptical. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I should believe him or not. Some of you would sit there and say, you know what? I'm comfortable with my mortgage. It's low. It's not that bad. I'm comfortable paying it every month. Got a good job. I think I'm going to pay that thing off my own. I'm not getting out of here this seat. I'm comfortable with it. I'm okay right, the way we are, right where we are. We budgeted for it. We still enjoy our life. I don't need you. Others would just flat out call the, just deny you're a liar. There's no way. My point is this. Does that impugn the man who offered salvation? Absolutely not. He was prepared to pay for all of your mortgages. You know what the difference was? Your response. Your response. And some of us come to God the same way. We understand wholly that we're sinners and we can't wait to fall on the Lord. Others say, you know, I'm really not that bad. I'm really not that bad. You know... I don't need to do all that stuff. That's, that's crazy. I don't need to go that. I don't need to get crazy with it. I, I, think, I think I'm good enough and I think I can earn my way there. You know what? You know, I don't do these big things that you see on TV. I'd never do that. And You sit right there. See, the, the difference is in your response. It doesn't impugn the man's character or the man's ability that comes in and offers salvation. You know what the determining factor was? Your response. How you responded. And it's the same with the gospel. You're, how will you respond to the grace that God has made available? The only appropriate response is belief. It's belief. And we don't have to understand it. We simply have to trust it. I don't have to understand how that all works together. I don't have to understand how the equation works. But I do know this. I trust it. And, and I know this much is true. That God is not the one on trial here. You and I are on trial. And guess what? The verdict is guilty. It's guilty. And yet in His grace, He sent His Son that we didn't have to pay the penalty for our own sins. And will we receive it and believe or will we refuse it? That's the question. That was the same question before the Ninevites. They in faith received it. Condemnation was averted. And every single person in the world is in just two camps. You wanna, you wanna, we live in a world that loves to classify people. We love to put people in a little box and put them on. Here's the deal. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. You're either facing condemnation or you've received eternal life. There's the only two categories of humanity. There's no kind of in-between. You're either, Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. You've either admitted your sinfulness and received Jesus' forgiveness or you sit here in your sinfulness and you're going to receive condemnation. 
And just like God did with the Ninevites, he's offered salvation. He has offered it to you. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? So the question becomes, how have you responded to the grace of God? Have you graciously fallen upon the cross? Have you graciously cast yourself upon Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Or are you going to sit there with your hands folded and try to do it on your own and in the end fail? How have you responded? Have you responded by trusting God? Faith will not hold all the answers, but I know this. I'm loved by the one who does have all the answers. There's a lot of things in my life that have gone on in my life and my family that I wish I had better answers for, but I know this. I know the one intimately who holds all the answers, and I'm trusting him. So how will you respond? How will you respond? Without faith, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible, impossible, to please God. You go to Romans 4, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God is sovereign and yet we are responsible. And yet there's a third component here that I want to share that we see in, in Jonah 3 as well because it doesn't just stop there. Believers are to be faithful stewards and proclaim the gospel to those around him. It doesn't just stop with your salvation. You're now to share what you have received by faith with everyone else. You're to be a steward of the gospel that you've been entrusted with. You're to be a steward of that. And if the gospel stops at you, something is wrong. It is not to stop. You're not to be a cul-de-sac. You're to be a a conduit. You're to be, you're the one that God has has said, you know what, I'm going to, you've received my grace, now go share it with one another. And then they go share it with somebody else. You know, Colossians 1.19, we won't look at it, but it says, God has reconciled all things to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And then he goes on to say, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What does God want of you? It's this. Everything necessary for salvation has been done. Go tell the world. Go tell the world. Your ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. It's telling the world about the salvation that God has made available. That was Jonah's whole job. That's our whole job. And, and what, did, what did God choose? Could God have done it a million ways? Who, what did He choose to get the message? A person. A flawed sinner. A, a, a sinner with a bad attitude. A prideful attitude. I'm always amazed in Philippians 1 where Paul says to be sure, around in verse 15, to be sure some preach Christ out of selfish motives. What was Paul's answer? Who cares? Only that Christ is preached and glorified. If that was me, I'm saying, no, go shut those guys up. Paul says, don't worry about it. God can use their bad motives. And I'm thankful because I don't always have good motives. If God only used good motives, I'd be in trouble. God's sovereign over it. Look with me at Romans 14, a clear picture of God's plan for us as believers, how He wants to get the glorious gospel to the rest of the world. Look at Romans 10, verse 14. It'll come up on the screens here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? By the way, some of you are going to say, well, that's your job, Chris. 
No, that word means you and I. It's a heralder. It means somebody who goes to them and heralds the gospel. That's not my job. I'm a co-laborer with you, so don't think you're off the hook here. You're the preachers, okay? You go to Ephesians 4, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry with me. That ain't my job. Verse 15, how will they, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What you see in Romans 10 is a connected chain that must be followed if somebody is going to get saved, and it all flows from verse 13. How will they believe whom they have not heard, and how will they hear without a preacher? And then verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know how that whoever calls on the name of the Lord? is because we go tell them. We go tell them. It's, it's an unbreakable sequence. Paul is putting forth a universal principle that, that says this. People cannot call on the name of the Lord. They cannot believe upon the name of the Lord unless somebody tells them about this great Lord. Somebody has to tell them. That's our job. He goes on to say, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This world and Satan has duped us into thinking that us telling the gospel is not good news. It is absolutely good news. It's, our, it's good news. And the intended effort, the intended response to our effort is faith. But they must be presented the word of God. They have to be presented the word of God. Because by the word of the God, bring, the word of God brings about faith. And faith only comes through hearing the word of God. You can look at 2 Corinthians 4. You can look at 2 Timothy 3. You can look at 1 Peter. It is the word of God that brings fruit to dead things. It is the word of God that is a ray of light that breaks the hardened hearts. The word alone has the power to bring life to these dead bodies. It's the preaching of the word of the Lord that, that our deadness responds to. The grace of God falls on us and we respond to the word of God. But the word of God can't do its work unless people are willing to, in faith, go and share. It's not just, well, I'll just be a good neighbor and keep my mouth shut about the grace of God. No, it's be a good neighbor and tell them about the grace of God. You don't save somebody by doing their lawn. You save somebody by preaching the word of God, by heralding it. But you do it with gentleness, 1 Peter 3.15, and respect. You do it by sharing to them that you weren't worthy and neither are they. And you tell them the bad news and the good news. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. A beautiful picture of the responsibility we have. Of, of the privilege that we have. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Look at this. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. What are you doing? You're, praising, you're proclaiming the excellencies of this great God that has called us out of death to life. That's what you do when you share the gospel. You're, just you're bragging on God. You're just telling Him what God has done. You're proclaiming the... We worship God by sharing with those around us. It is a joy, but it is also a responsibility. It's a responsibility to evangelize the lost. It should be a joy, but it's a responsibility. And if our hearts are truly grateful for our salvation, 
that we've saved, that we've been given through faith, we'll share. The reality is we oftentimes think that we're, 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 we're like Jonah. We deserved it, so we just keep quiet about it. Or that God was wise in saving us, so we just keep quiet about it. Or it really wasn't that big of a deal what God did, because, you know, we were pretty good, so we stay quiet about it. And our objective when we share, our objective is, is not their salvation. Our objective is faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel. Only God can, can do something in their heart. My job is to be faithful with the truth. Okay? I think sometimes we get real, we get nervous about results and we have to do this and we have to do that. No, my job is to simply be truthful and faithful to the word. I let God do His work in changing their heart. And God is a work all around us, and He has chosen to get His word to those around us through humans, for whatever reason. And if we would simply grasp what Jonah grasped, number one, that salvation belongs to the Lord, but that, secondly, faith only comes through hearing the word of God. And these true truths will change our life. Salvation belongs to the Lord, but it only gets to those by us sharing. Look at me in closing at the beauty here of what God has invited us. He has invited us into a, into a partnership, into a fellowship. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, and then one passage in 1 Corinthians and we'll close. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Listen to this. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We're fellow workers. In his grace, he's invited you to be a part to see the joy of seeing others come to know the Lord. And he's invited you. We're his fellow workers. 1 Corinthians 4, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. What's my job? It's to be a steward of the gospel. It's to be trustworthy. It's to be trustworthy. And I don't know how it all works together, but I know this. Where the gospel is preached, people get saved. Where believers remain silent, people don't get saved. I know that much. Where the gospel is preached and where people share with others, people get saved. But if we keep our mouths shut, people don't get saved. So I, so I close with this. How are you doing? Are you a faithful worker? Are you a faithful worker with regards to spreading God's good, good news, the gospel? Are, are, are you a, maybe a, what the world would say a slacker? Are you timid? Are you scared? Are you selfish? Are you keeping it to yourself? Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't fear man. Fear the Lord. Trust that what you're sharing with Him is good news and get the word to those around you. If God could use Jonah and all of his shortcomings, He could use you and I. And He wants to. He has invited us. He's invited us. God is sovereign. Over salvation, man is responsible for believing that salvation, and then it's found that we be, and then it's offered to us or asked of us that we would be found trustworthy. And I pray that we would be found trustworthy, that we would share the gospel with those around us faithfully.